episode of the Rewind It Back Movie Podcast. As always, I am Bill, and on tonight is Joe and Dan. And tonight we have our first black and white movie and a movie from the 1950s decade, 1957 to be exact. The movie is 12 Angry Men. This one was chosen by Dan. Whenever Dan picks a movie, I always look forward to seeing it and discussing it because, Dan, I think you, uh, in the last couple of movies that you've chosen, you always find a, do a good job of finding these gems that either we haven't seen or heard of or both. Uh, but this one was just absolutely awesome. It was a great movie. So 12 Angry Men is a 1957 uh, American courtroom drama. The film was, by, was, film was directed by Sidney Lumet. It's adapted from a 1954 play of the same name by Reginald Rose. Um, it tells the story of a jury of 12 men as they uh, deliberate the conviction or acquittal of an 18-year-old defendant on the basis of reasonable doubt, forcing the jurors to question their morals and values. It stars Henry Fonda, who also produced the film, Lee J. Cobb, Ed Begley, E.J. Marshall, and Jack Warden. Uh, the movie is shot in real time, and it basically it's, they're just trying to decide whether this young kid is innocent or guilty of killing his of killing his father. Henry Fonda he he plays juror number eight. There's every person in this movie does not have a their name is not revealed. They always go by the number of juror that they are. So Henry Fonda he plays juror number eight, uh, who's convinced the entire time that the defendant is innocent, while el- everyone else has already called him guilty. And then throughout the movie we. Not only get to hear everyone's opinions on the matter, but also every possibility of the verdict. In the end, the issue is not whether the defendant is innocent or guilty, but the important part is the process by which the jurors reach their decision. So, again, this is a great movie. I have never seen it, never heard of it. I Well, I think I've heard of it because whenever you see, watch like a uh, crime drama TV show or movie, they always say, they always have like the saying, like, don't 12 angry men this, this verdict to the jury. And this is like this is nothing else that I think I've ever seen before in any any movie that has to deal with a trial or a case. It's always about the defendant and the prosecution and the defense attorney. It's very, very few you see movies that are just based around the jury. And I think that this was this was very unique and it was just all around a, a great movie. Yeah, it's, I've seen it many times over the years. I definitely thought it would be a good one for the for the show. Uh, it's just it's a unique movie, like you said. It's based on a play. I mean, what is there? Basically, three sets on the whole film: the the courtroom, the jury room, and I guess the bathroom. That's really it. Really, no actors outside the jurors. Couple great cast. I mean, I think almost everybody's recognizable to me, at least, except maybe one or two that have been in you know, multiple movies and shows. It's great, great movie. It definitely has a lot to unpack. I mean, for starters, it takes place in 1957, which is still at you know, even you know, even if not to not to ruffle any feathers, but 19, 1950s was the you know the height of McCarthyism, and still there were still heavily heavily racist uh, motives across the United States. This so what Bill didn't mention was that the child who was on trial for murder, maybe I think he maybe he was 18, 
I think yeah. he's 18 maybe. Mm-hmm. He was of Puerto Rican descent. And so he was Hispanic. And the jurors were 12 white men. So they definitely highlighted the deep set prejudices in all the jurors, except juror number eight, because he was more logical. And he approached the problem with a, lo- with, with a logical view of what is reasonable doubt. The other jurors were either blindly ignorant to any facts, as we probably saw. I think juror number three, uh, actor Lee Cobb, was the... Was the <laughs> he was very intense, but he was blinded by his ignorance and blinded by his um, prejudices for an 18-year-old kid from essentially what is a slum or a project in whatever city this, is, this takes place in. They don't tell you, and that's okay. And, you know, this movie has all of it. It's got, you know, indifference, anger, unreliable judgments, strong personalities, weak personalities. I think juror number six ended up being that banker who was like really timid and didn't want to say anything. He just kind of shied away. So, I mean, there was a lot of contrast. There was cultural differences. I think one of them was a European watchmaker came to America for something different than than what he saw in the courtroom, right? So there's lots of detail here to unpack that makes this really an interesting movie. I had never seen it myself. I had heard of it and heard of the play. My mother-in-law, when she when I when she told when I told her she we were doing this tonight, she knew all about this. So she she talked to me about it a little bit ahead of time. But she had saw the play on stage in a reproduction and then has seen the movie a bunch. So everybody speaks high volumes of this movie, I, as far as I understand. Yeah, and also to 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 go back with what you said about um, the guys there that just they just didn't didn't give a shit. They were so quickly to. Uh, find this guy guilty and um henry fonda just kept saying well this like they even mentioned in the beginning like if this guy's found guilty for murder like he's he's getting death penalty like that's just that's just the way it is no ifs ands or buts so his whole time was like okay let's just let's just give this, this guy a couple words like we're talking about like a human life here but guys like um juror number i'm trying to look at that i'm trying to think of the table in my head of the guys are sitting so i think it's juror number seven jack warden's character jack warden he, he's, he's jack warden's um, hysterical yeah, he's, he just plays like the, uh, I believe he was a salesman, his occupation in the movie. And he, the whole time he had tickets to the Yankees game, they were playing the Indians that night. And all he wanted to do, he was just going along or whatever. He wasn't putting any thought to it. He was just trying to get in there and get out, like whatever, whatever. Okay, everyone's saying guilty. Well, then I'll, I'm going to say it's guilt, he's guilty just to get the hell out of here. Like it's just. And, and same with non guilty because he changed, he changed his opinion and kind of flip flopped and didn't really give a reason why, other than you could tell he really didn't want to be there. Yeah, and they call him out for that. He's like, well, you just thought he was guilty like an hour ago. He just goes, well, I'm trying to get out of here. You know, I got tickets to the Yankees game. So I guess this takes place in either New York or Cleveland. Probably New York, if I had to guess. Oh, yeah, for I've, sure. So for our listeners who have not seen this yet, Jack Warden is a very well-known actor. You may have seen him since you may not have seen this movie. He's been in a few bit movies sort of here and there. He Most notably, he played Pops in Dirty Work. And he also played the the football team owner in the replacements with Keanu Reeves and Gene Hackman. Yeah, among was, a variety of other sort of smaller roles he's had. Those are two ones that stand out to I guess more current uh, viewers because he that was his last movie was in two thousand. Yeah, he pops up every here and there. I always remember him being the uh, the grandfather and problem child. That too, both of them. And uh, what's his face? Oh, what the hell's his name? E.G. Marshall. He he plays. Uh, <laughs> He plays uh he plays Art in Christmas Vacation. Yes, Ellen's father. Ellen's father. So it's it's awesome. You, you see these guys like I mean obviously they're yeah. they're they're thirty forty years younger than yeah, like but, the movies that we're but this about. is the height of their careers. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, for sure. This is this is peak time for them. Like nineteen fifty 
50s to the early 70s when, when these guys are banging out hits either on TV or on, on, on screen. Yeah. Henry Fonda's a legend. I mean, you, you, can't, you, you can't go any further than that. What what I do like about this this movie too is like the the, the whole time it like it's 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 take it takes place in one room in real time, and at the very end like the the, the entire time Henry Fonda is trying to not really convince these guys that that boy is innocent but just to kind of like okay let's just let's let's just dig into this real real quick instead of just saying that he's guilty let's just let's just go over the, like the facts basically, and the movie ends where everyone decides that the guy that the, the boy is 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 not guilty and then it, and then it just ends it, it ends with them just walking out of the uh the room but in, we never what i like what i like about the movie is the the way it ends is that we never find out in fact if the boy is is guilty or not like yes they chose that he they decided that he's not guilty but you don't see like the actual discussion by the prosecution team in a defense you know and we don't know if henry fonda was right all along or not and and i think that's what i think is so great about the movie that he henry fonda could have been completely wrong and the boy could have actually killed his father and gotten away with murder so that's the bigger the, the bigger point here is that henry henry fonda is like just he's just <coughs> completely right joe like what you said he's 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 not trying to prove that the, the boy is innocent but that the threshold of reasonable doubt has not been reached the entire film you know we have no idea what the, the, the defendant said in the, in the trial what the prosecuting attorney said or defense attorney were like other than what we hear about it through the words of the jurors talking about what they heard and i you know this is the this is i guess this, this is the legal system that you know we exist in now in, in society it's a cross-section of america you know we believe that everyone is innocent until proven guilty and you know sometimes there in itself is that's problematic because guilty people can go free and it's like almost like we rather see guilty people go free than see an, see an innocent man or a woman go to prison i mean you see it all the time you, re, you hear about it on the news you read about it in the papers about how some people men women have been in prison for 20 30 40 years uh, for things that they, they didn't do until like some piece of evidence like dna resurrects like years later to find them that they're not guilty and back to the point about how the kid how he he maybe could have done it you know what the film does is bring doubt on the prosecution. It's kind of like the same thing that they did, um, I guess, in the O.J. Simpson trial. You know, they they brought doubt, the defense team brought doubt on the prosecution case. It created enough doubt that the person, O.J., got to go free. Yeah, it's hard Paris. to think of the jury going the same way as <clears throat> thinking the same process with O.J. Well, did fit. got to quit. Well, that's a bit of an extreme, uh, you know, in many respects. I mean, that, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, the O.J. Simpson trial is not a model of American civil litigation. Well, <laughs> it was more, more, it was more of a more, I won't say a mockery of courtroom process, but at, at least Robert Kardashian tried to keep it together the best that he could do. But O.J.'s team just, no, it, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of more comical than anything else, to be honest. Well, effective, watch, effective, watch- but comical. Yeah, you watch any documentary like either from ESPN or just something on TV. Like, there's no way that he is like. Well, and Henry Fonda did a good job of a lot of his argument was that the defense attorney did a horrible job. It was you know court appointed, and you know brings in the you know the, the class and race thing. Yeah, I was definitely most struck in this movie by the amount of prejudice that each of the most of the characters displayed. I can understand to some degree if you think all the facts are right, regardless of the, I guess, person's ethnicity, so be it. But, and I think juror number four, E.G. E. Marshall's character, uh, for example, was the most, 
beyond Henry Fonda was the most sort of analytical and unflappable when it came to the data presented to him. He didn't care that the kid was from a tough neighborhood in New York, was Puerto Rican, had a had an abusive childhood. He cared about the facts of the case. So he wasn't the one that was prejudiced. Juror number three, on the other hand, had his own failing relationship with his son. They had gotten to their own fist fight, if I recall correctly. And he kept referencing his the kid's background, the old lady he saw him saw him stab his dad, all that fun stuff. The worst one was juror number ten. He was a racist pig to the point where even juror number three turned his back and said, you basically you're outcast. And he sat by himself at a little table sobbing in shame. Ed Begley, well, yeah. Well, I Begley, yeah, Ed Begley. Kind of yeah, I mean, he went on some race laden tirade about them do this and they do that and they're not worthy and whatever other terrible things he uttered during the movie. And even the jurors who were convinced he was guilt, the kid was guilty, like juror number three and, Sort of the flip flop of juror number twelve, who couldn't know it doesn't know ask him a hole in the ground, even that turned their back. Actor. That was great, but, but all all of them, yeah. yeah but all, all of them were great. But the fact that you know he was so convinced that the kid's race was the only thing that mattered, nothing else was important, and they all turned their backs on it because even they recognized that it didn't matter. That the kid was Puerto Rican from a tough neighborhood; he may not have done <laughs> it. So that kind of struck me with this movie because it just. And maybe that's a product of the times, right? 1957, we all know it's still kind of a racially tense time in the U.S. across the board. No secret. And, you know, it just showed the prejudice of the time. And that, kind of, and that resonates now, I think, with our current situation with race relations and voting rights and things like that. So it's a nice, it's a nice way to think about it. Yeah, and E.G. Marshall was actually irritated that they were on his side because if because they were, he was actually working against his argument. Because, like you said, it was he knew they were racist and bigoted, even though they agreed with him that you know he was guilty. Great, great character. And the breakdown when he changed his mind was excellent with the glasses. Yeah, that oh, that was favorite. Yeah, so juror number nine stands out, I think, because he's the old decrepit man, probably you know, get getting ready to hang up the spurs, so to speak, for life, and is the most observant of them all. Even over Henry Fonda, yes. he noticed he noticed the rubbing of glasses detail. I can tell you, I have my own indents from having thirty something years of glasses on my face. They don't, those those indents are annoying for sure. And so the fact that he noticed it and didn't think of it until the deliberation was really interesting. Makes like sense how, too. Yeah, I like how, how Henry Fonda when he was trying to like you know make his case with everything about how someone heard the neighbor who had like a, a, a bum leg or something like that. And he like walked over like 13 feet to the window or something like that. And he tried to like map it out about how and time himself, how long it would take him to go from point A to point B. And to, I guess the point C to go out, the, go out the door, how fast it would be for someone to look out like a window staring at the, what is it? When they were going by on the train. Yeah. So it was the old lady who lived in the apartment building across the, across the train tracks of the L train from where the the murder took place and so she was laying in her bed which happened to be facing the window and as the empty l train drove by it was its lights were on because it was empty and she saw through the windows of the train which i think was about 60 feet away between the two windows she saw the stabbing of the father by someone son or otherwise without her glasses on which is what they ended up getting towards towards the end of the movie because of the whole glasses thing with the indents and such but she, so she saw the stabbing happen through the train windows 
of the train that drove by at about at some under how fast it was going. Said it was loud, couldn't hear anything. Very subtle details. And the knife scene was great, of course. Yeah, that was a great scene too. He pulled out a he he pulled out a knife that was exactly the same well, knife as. There are two knife scenes. It's that one. I think the one Dan's referring to is at the end when they're testing the knife penetration theories. Yes. No, that's good could, too, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you're, going for, you're going for the first one? Okay. He pulls out the knife and everybody, oh, you know. <laughs> where, the hell, where the hell would you find that knife? Yeah. At the corner store. It was five bucks. <laughs> no, but but there was a really, the really tense, so what I was getting to, I thought Dan was too, but was the really tense scene when they're testing the either upward or downward stabbing of someone shorter than another person. And juror number three was like waiting to, you know, stab juror number eight. And we finally, you could see he was like, I could do this right now. Wouldn't end well for me, but I could do this right now because I'm being obliterated by logic. <laughs> <laughs> And you could tell, like, I mean, it was a very, it was, it was tense. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys agree or not, but that was a tense moment in the movie when he had the opportunity to just lay out Henry Fonda and yeah. was sort of semi stopped by everybody else. Yeah, everyone in the room was like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it was a little wild, to be honest. Yeah. No, it was Jack, Jack Klugman was good. He was kind of like, could relate. He was from, he grew up in the projects, or whatever. And then he showed him how to use, that he would have used the knife. Another good character, good actor. Yeah, this this whole cast was was great. I mean, even talk about Martin Balsam. He was the what do they call it, the head juror? Yeah, the, the, he, the, he was the foreman. foreman. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, another great actor. He's in everything. And like you said, it's like a lot of these guys are younger. You know, probably most of them in their heyday. I mean, I, I mean, I think Henry Fonda was probably the most famous of all of them for you know for reasons, but they were all well known at the time. I mean, Jack Warden was hysterical. I mean, he was well known in the comedy circuit at that time. He was hysterical. And that came out in the movie. He all, all he did was talk fast and make his usual wisecracks about everything. It was great. Yeah. So Dan, so this is uh, I think just in, in conversation. You said this is like a, one in your in your top ten favorite movies of all time. Well, not mine personally, but I know any movie list will have it. It's in top one hundred for sure. I think on any you know any survey. Yeah, I mean it got a solid nine on IMDb. Um, yeah, it is. You're right. It is a nine. I got my but, notes up here. Yeah, no, and I I completely uh, agree with it too. So how did how did you just come about seeing this movie for the first time? Yeah, I probably caught her on TCM back in the day, and I always liked Henry Fonda, great actor. And it's one of those ones like even though it's not like a real exciting movie, you, you tend to watch it. It's not long, you know. It's a great movie. You know, you forget how they, you know, the ending, but you forget how they break everybody down. And they all switch their <clears throat> the vote from guilty to not guilty. That's a great movie. Like I watch it again for the show. But. Yeah, it was really good. It's a it's a solid like hour and a half quick movie. And Henry Fonda, I think like he was I think he was probably like he had to been like in his maybe mid fifties doing. He's early fifties, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So he was. He was born in nineteen oh eight, I believe. So yeah, something like that. So Joe, you're going for your law degree. Yeah. So for those who haven't I haven't discussed haven't talked about much in the show yet. I'm a I'm a chemist by trade, but I all but I work primarily in the legal side of science, so patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrecy, sorts of things. And I'm currently about two thirds of the way through my own law degree uh, on my employer's dime, no less. And I currently work at a law firm in in Boston, and so I'm so I see you know so I've gotten some experience in some of the mechanics behind courtroom process and jury process and things of this sort, and yeah. it's tense. <laughs> Did you ever get to sit on like anything like this? I mean, I know you said you're you're with the 
you know, copyrights and all that stuff with that yep. with lawyers. But I mean, did you ever like have to like sit through like a, a trial like this? Maybe not murder, but not for murder. I mean, I've done stuff between federal agency and uh, individuals. So most of what I do is working with people to secure rights to their inventions and discoveries. Ever so often, you have to go on Zoom and sit in front of a of a judge and talk about why you're right and why the patent office is wrong, which is easy. It's just wrong because they're wrong all the time. And but it has, but it's the same process. So you've got prosecution, defendant. Defendant is, is usually the government. Prosecution is me and clients and partners and things in my law firm. And we just sort of hash it out. There's no jury trials of this and what I do here, but having to go up there and see my piece and tell the appeal boards that they're wrong and here's why you're wrong. And it has the same sort of flavor of ten, it's tense at times. Did Not ever- like this though. This is this, this type of murder trial and you know, somebody's and as the movie has sort of highlighted somebody's life in the hands of 12 angry men. I mean, it's an 18 year old kid who's getting sent to the chair probably at some federal prison if he's convicted and that's powerful. Yeah. So I, I got, I got picked for jury duty a couple of weeks ago and I didn't have to, you know, I got my summons, but I didn't get picked. So I didn't have to, I didn't have to go and, and, and sit down for hours and hours and hours to go through like all this processing and screening. But when did you ever, my first question is, did you ever have to sit and go through all that paperwork and pick people to be on a jury? I have not. Okay. I have been I have been some served process for jury duty. I have gone to court. I have done I've gotten most of the way through. I've never sat on a jury, but I got pretty close in twenty sixteen when I was still living in Connecticut at the time. So I did the whole rigmarole. I came down to the last like twenty five people being picked for uh the New Haven Superior Court in Connecticut. And it's a nerve wracking process, even going through the summons paperwork and then being asked by somebody, you know, are you fit to be a juror? You know, some people can 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 dock it by saying, you know, they don't like black people or they're, or, or they are religious and they can get automatically disqualified because you, you can't say that kind of stuff to a jury panel. But you know, it's, it's tense being even nominated for a jury when you're sitting there in the court and having to talk about it. It's not pleasant. Fortunately, yeah. in my, fortunately, in my line of work, jury trials are few and far between because of the high cost of litigation that's not, that's um, involving technology companies. It's, Typically, easy just to settle and be done with it. So it would be like, would it be take place and be done in one day? No, you know, no, 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 no. One of the things you'll find in this this movie, this is the very tail end of a, of a trial. There's weeks of this going on. So what what we saw in the beginning of the movie was sort of the the sort of closing arguments, if they even showed any of it. I don't, don't think they did, but it was the very close of a trial. Where both part where both prosecution and defense have rested their positions, and have turned it over to the jury to sit and, and to sift through the information and figure out for themselves which direction to go in. Up until that point, though, was probably weeks of being in court every day, giving poster and at that time period poster boards of pictures and pointing out certain things and having ex- experts come in to talk about having those experts deposed by counsel to talk about, to try to pick their arguments apart. I think we highlighted the poor defense counsel, probably some public defender because a kid had no money, you know, just, he was just on his docket. Right. And so he just kind of did it kind of half-assed it, set the kid up for failure clearly, but these trials take normally weeks or months of being in court every day or every other day. It's not a one and done thing. And that's, and that's independent of what the subject matter of the trial is. It's a lengthy process. We'll just put it that for our listeners who, don't, who, who are not involved in, le- in the legal world. 
the court system is very, very slow. Well, and you can even like in the very beginning of the movie when like, you know, the, the court is rested and then like the, the judge was talking like he, the way he was basically just flopped over his desk. Like you could tell like he was just done by the way he was talking. He was just it was, done with the case. You know, once so I have a friend that works in the New York in the New York DA in Brooklyn and he was telling me that what he does as, as an ADA, he's an assistant attorney, is just mentally and emotionally draining. Because the cases he has to see with murders, robberies, you know, various other you know torts, and clearly it weighs on the judges too. It really alters how you know the way you think about things and your mental state. We kind of highlighted some of this mental state thing. So think about it this way. So for our listeners, go back and listen to our our show on eight millimeter. And in that movie, Nick Cage's character can't remember his name now. Uh, got to see a lot of really difficult stuff involving the porn industry in, in LA and he, he himself killed somebody near the end of the movie and getting to, and having to do that and see that stuff kind of weighs on your mind a lot and judges and attorneys all across America who have to see that kind of stuff it weighs on them too and it really impacts how you look at the world I do, I do think though that looking at the jurors in this movie top to bottom that I think once they kind of got rolling or once Henry Fonda, juror number eight, started really saying his piece about sort of the faults of the evidence that presented to them and the flaws in the prosecution's case. I think the, the real issue here was the kid's life in your hands started to really weigh on each one of them individually. It sort of overcame their prejudice, overcame their biases. They overcame all their preconceived notions of, you know, what this kid did or didn't do. And you can see a weight on them. Like, if you think about it, you're, you're literally going to send a kid, 18 years old, whole life ahead of him, even, even in a tough neighborhood in New York, to do whatever he wanted to do if he get out of the neighborhood. You're going to send that kid to the chair, something that he may not have done on what, quite frankly, is shoddy evidence. Yeah, like they just kept saying, like, this is, this is someone's life that we're talking about here. Don't just come in here and say, yeah, yeah, well, I think he's guilty, and then just call it a day. Like, that's a very, very serious matter. It is a life and death situation. Yeah. I, you know, the funny thing is like, and you could definitely tell the shift in the movie, right? I think some of them had said in the beginning, it's, you know, I, I have no connection to this. Either he's guilty or he's innocent. And that sort of disconnect from what the implications of that decision, you could see that in the beginning of the movie with all, with most of them who thought it was guilty. I think it was 11 to one in the beginning. Yeah. And all of them thought it was just, oh, facts are clear. He did it. He's useless. He's worthless. He's just some kid from a tough neighborhood. There are, think you're a 10 they're all like that and you could definitely see the change as the movie progressed that maybe we should really reconsider what's going on here and not just throw this kid's life out the window powerful yeah i mean good, cho- good choice dan yeah dan really good choice i mean much can be be attributed to the the writing here was was great too and again a lot of it could be attributed to the writing as much as it could be attributed to the 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 performances by the entire ensemble. You know, I haven't really seen that many 1950 movies, but, you know, it's imagine like with this day and age, like a film as great as this, it doesn't have any special effects. It's in black and white and 99% of it takes place in one room. Like that's really hard to find something like that. That's as great as this movie is. Yeah, it definitely is a movie that's worth your time if you if even if you don't like courtroom stuff just to get a feel for how people can change 
when presented new information is important. So as, as a scientist and myself, one of the things that, that scientists and strive for is being able to change their opinion of a situation on new, de- new data provided to you. It's the, it's the hallmark of ignorance to just expect the same result every time by doing the same thing every time. You can't, you can't just expect things to work all the time and you have to be able to look at data and be able to change your conclusions based on what you see. And that was no more evident in this movie when as the, as the real information started to come through with Henry Fonda's, I won't say unusual way of doing things, but he's certainly pulling out a knife in a, in a jury, in a jury room, you know, out of his pocket, a little bit interesting. Don't, he, he would, in, in real life, that would have never happened because he would have gotten screened ahead of time because <laughs> he came right from the courtroom out of the jury box into, into the deliberation room and he would have been wanded, patted down well before any of that. But otherwise, you know, he was approaching the problem in a very analytical, methodical way, looking at each piece of evidence presented. So the knife, the train scene, the sounds, the walking, all that stuff. He, he, he approached it in a very um, almost scientific way to prove, to at least cast a shadow of a doubt on the prosecution's evidence. And that's important to do. Yeah, like I said, he, I don't think he was just trying to prove that he was, the kid was innocent. He was just trying to bring to light like everything that they, they were yeah. told. And he said as much in the movie. He said, I don't know if the kid's guilty or not, but I at least want to look at it yeah. and look at it in a way that makes sense and not just take the evidence wholesale and then lock the kid away and, and, and let him cook in the chair. And that's important to remember. Even if you're a listener, if you don't like courtroom movies, if you don't like procedural dramas, because this is basically almost like a procedural drama. If you don't like that stuff, so be it. Still watch this. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I mentioned in the beginning, there's not a lot of movies that you see that ha- that's based around the jury. It's always about the defendant, the prosecution, attorneys, you know, time to kill or to kill a mockingbird or... A few good men. A few good men. Law, law and order, any of those. Like it's, it's not really ever about the jury and like the process that they go through in order to come to a conclusion. And it's always about the trial itself. Yeah. So I think this was a, this was a really cool uh, movie to kind of um, the, the capture that leg of everything of yeah. the courtroom. And it really was a microcosm of America, right? I mean, I mean, every one of them. One thing that this movie really stood out to me for is that every single juror on the panel Except, I think maybe the first one because he didn't really say much. He was that assistant. He was that football coach in a high, local high school. Yeah. He didn't really say much as the foreman. He just kind of tried to keep it orderly, but didn't like his authority being challenged. But he tried to try to keep it orderly much as he, as much as possible. But most of the other jurors um, had, I won't say like a coming of age moment, but they definitely had a moment where they were like, "Okay, my values come out." I think Jack Clubkin, for example, he got tired of being insulted for growing up in a tough neighborhood, right? Or Edward Bins, who played the the house painter, juror number six, he got tired of being insulted for whatever he was doing, and he stood up and said, "Hey, don't insult the old man. I'll knock you out." You know, kind of that kind of attitude. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, the the point is, is that they all came to the realization that their values mean are important here, and they shouldn't go back on them. It's what makes you as a person. It's what makes you a, a juror is what is has is your is way the way you view a problem and what you believe. And being able to alter that belief in the face of compelling evidence or compelling testimony, or in this case, Henry Fonda dragging a bum leg for 13 feet and timing himself. He did argue his, you know, all, all of his, all of his points. You know, even though like a, a lot of them, 
in the very beginning, he had gotten no favorable responses from anybody except for the the old man. I think the old man was like the first one to 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 switch the sides and say like, you know what, he's not guilty. So uh, any other uh, any other final thoughts? I think we, Solid we can... choice, Dan. Solid yeah. choice. Yeah, like I said, I always enjoy when Dan uh, when we get to talk about one of Dan's movies or uh, whatever ones that he chooses. I mean, it's um, it's thought provoking. Yeah. I mean, especially in in view of our modern world, right? With with the way things have been going, even right now and how courtrooms go and sort of our, our views on race relations and these sorts of things. So it's, it was definitely a nice reminder of where, where we've been and where we can be. Okay. So that will do it for this episode of the rewind it back podcast for 12 angry men. Uh, next week we are going to do the 1989 Batman movie starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. We're also going to do something completely different that we haven't done before yet on the show. We are going to dive into the Twitch universe with the help of Joe being well-versed in that. So we're going to actually try and do a a live broadcast, um, see if we can get some people involved asking us questions live. We'll see where uh, where that takes us. And at the same time, I'm I'm still putting together our next segment of uh, Are You Smarter Than Rewind It Back. It'll be based on just the Batman movie and maybe some questions about Batman in general or from any other movies. I have prizes picked out for the winners. So yeah, we'll see what happens with uh, with Twitch. <laughs> see how many uh, views or people we have listen to us live broadcast. I'll also put more information about that out on our Instagram page. I'm trying to get everyone else out if they want to. I'll give everyone the link to see if they want to you know, take a listen on the live broadcast or You'll just listen to it when it uh, when it airs the following week on uh, all of our podcast uh, platforms. So for our listeners who know what Twitch is, you go to Twitch, search for the podcast, just search for Rewind It Back. Bill and I over the weekend made about a 20-minute promo video about the channel and about the podcast and everybody on it and why we're doing it. So go over. If you know what it is, go give it a listen, comment, send me a chat, send me a note. But we are going to go live starting next Thursday, every Thursday, simulcast with this while while we are recording the show for Bill to upload to our podcast hosting servers. And so give us a like, come find us on Twitch. It'll be a great time for all. Yeah, we'll see how we'll see what happens. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, take it from there. Again, it'd be cool. You know, the people that they ask us questions that maybe something we haven't touched on or haven't thought of. So it'd be good to... Uh, conversations about that see what people can bring to the table if they participate but uh um, as always you can find us on spotify apple podcast google podcast and breaker we do have an instagram account you can follow us there for information coming up about doing some our what we're just talking about doing on twitch as well as when new episodes are going to drop feel free to give us a rating and subscribe to the podcast thank you all again for listening and goodbye